Somewhere there's a sermon illustration in those shoes that light up every time you take a step. You know? <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet, but one of these Sundays you'll hear it. Oh, my. Many years ago, a man named Wilbur Reese, I know nothing about other than this poem I'm about to read to you. He wrote, he wrote this poem. Maybe you've heard it before. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk, a cup of warm milk, or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I understand that I was blessed to be born. Uh, well, I was not born into a home of Christian parents, but not long after my birth, uh, my parents became believers and followers of Christ. And I grew up in such a home and was in church, one of those families, whenever the doors were opened. Uh, we were there, and sometimes when they weren't open, because my dad had a key, we could still get in there. But I grew up with that, and, and, and I, you know, I, I remember so much of those things. And you've heard some of this story before. Actually, you've probably heard everything I want to tell you, to you uh, this morning, but, but I, just, I need to share it. I need to share it again. Because God is just, I don't know, anyway. Stay tuned. I, you know, I remember the Sunday morning that I was on about the second or third row. Uh, and during the invitation time, I walked out and went to the pastor and said something that, uh, you know, resulted in a phone call to my parents that afternoon and resulted in a baptism sometime after that. And growing up and being very involved in a, in a very active youth group and, and doing things and, and going places. But as I look back, I realize that so much of that time and, and that life was living on $3 worth of God. Enough to kind of keep me warm and fuzzy. Enough to kind of make me feel comfortable. Enough to kind of know, well, you know, I guess whenever I die, when I'm old. <laughs> I was going to say old and bald. I'm sure when I was five, six years old, I never thought I would be bald. But anyway, <laughs> that I, you know, I had enough. My $3 worth of God. I was in the second semester of, of my first year at Purdue University. And, and, and I didn't do a lot of bad things during that season of my life, but I didn't do a lot of good things either. It's probably the, one of the longest stretches of my life that I went without really attending church or being involved in church. You know, if I went, I just kind of went and went home, and, and that was kind of it. And... and my $3 worth of God was still doing okay, you know. I, I wasn't as bad as these guys in this room, you know. And so I was, I was okay. And I don't know what happened completely, but you've heard the story. I came home on a Friday night. Our church was in the midst of, of a revival service with, with some students from a school in Texas. Um, and I walked in and took my place on the back row somewhere... Uh, five or ten minutes before the sermon ended. And I do not remember anything that that preacher said, 
But I remember when, when the invitation was given, walking that aisle and taking my pastor by the hand and saying, I, I, I need Jesus in my heart. I don't, I don't think I'm a Christian. And I honestly, and I've said this before, I, I can't tell you, honestly, if I died in the interim between this baptism as a young boy and this decision as a, as a 19-year-old, um, where I was, but I know on that night, um, I, I, I came to the conclusion that I wanted more than $3 worth of God. And I guess you can reverse that and say I came to the conclusion that God wanted more than $3 worth of Jimmy Walls. And I came to the conclusion that, that I, I, I needed him, that I, that I, I, I was, am, will be a sinner. And, and I came to understand, even more so today looking back, what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, when he, when he talks about this wrestling between uh, sin and, and not sinning or doing what you want to do and not doing what you don't want to do or all of those things. And Paul comes to this grand conclusion in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, when he says, what a wretched man I am. It is a reminder of what God has said to us through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, when he says that this heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Your Bible translation may say desperately wicked. And, and, and to come out of that is, is it is refreshing. But can I be real honest with you and say that it's very easy to slip back into the $3 worth of God mode? That it's very easy to again say, well, you know, I made that radical decision and that change that I am secure in my salvation from that moment. But if I am not careful and you are not careful, we will slip back into that wanting $3 worth of God and giving God $3 worth of ourself. I am blessed that when I came to Christ, I did not, and, and I did not have to leave behind a bunch of garbage, all right, that a lot of people do. But hear me, my heart was still garbage. Understand that. All right? The heart is deceitfully wicked. Oh, wretched man that I am. I would invite you, if you have a Bible, to open it to Mark chapter 5. As we spend a few moments looking at, at that kind of lived out in, in, in the life of a woman who comes to Jesus. And while it is, it is not identically the same in the sense of a spiritual condition, it is symbolically the same of one who is wretched and unclean and unholy and hopeless and full of despair and discovering that their only hope, her only hope, my only hope, your only hope, 
is to reach out to Jesus and to seek much more than $3 worth of God, but to seek enough of God that will fill your life and make you new. Mark chapter 5. I will set this up. You may be very familiar with this story. Jesus is, is traveling, as he has been doing in the early chapters of Mark. He has called some disciples, but not all up to this point. He has healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He has uh, uh, raised, or not raised, but he has, he has called a lame man to rise up and walk, the man who was lowered through the, the roof of a, of a house. He has healed many. He has driven out diseases. We looked last week in Mark chapter 1. He healed a man of leprosy. And, and, and so now there is, in, in, in Mark chapter 5, there is a synagogue leader, probably not a rabbi, probably not a Pharisee, but, but he is one of these guys that, that maybe like some of you, he was there when the doors were open. He took care of things. He made sure the lights were on, the fires were lit. He, he, he was a leader respected in the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter is dying. My daughter is sick. And there are a few things that will move a parent like a sick child. And so he pleads with Jesus to come to his house. And so Jesus begins that journey. And verse 24 says that a great crowd followed him and thronged about him some versions, translations say, pressed upon him. You just get the idea that, that it was kind of like a, a mass of humanity that is making its way through the street, bumping shoulders, jostling, everybody just kind of moving along. And, and, and then Mark introduces us in chapter 20, in verse 25. And there was a woman in that crowd. There was a woman amongst all of those people who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and, and came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Mark doesn't add, but I will, and she tried to just kind of blend back into the crowd. But Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, Are you crazy? Oh, no. His disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman had this, this issue of of blood for 12 years, just this chronic disorder, a perpetual issue of blood. Such a, a condition would be difficult for any woman today, and, and certainly in that day for a Jewish woman, it was especially difficult. She was unclean. Spiritually, socially, emotionally, she was unclean. 
If you go back and read in, in Leviticus chapter 15, and it describes such a condition, and, 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 it, and it just, she is unclean. Whatever she lays on is unclean. Whatever she sits on is unclean. Anybody who touches her is unclean. Anybody who sits or lays where she has been is unclean. If she had a husband, she could not touch him or he would be unclean. If she had children, she could not hug them or they would be unclean. If she had friends and neighbors, she could not come into contact with them or they would be unclean. She could not go into the synagogue to worship or into the temple because she was unclean. And if she didn't have a husband or children, it looked pretty hopeless that she ever would because of her condition. This condition, this woman and her circumstances are so much, so much a picture of what the wretched heart looks like, the wicked heart, the sinful person looks like. When you read through the Old Testament and you read these laws of being clean and unclean, and we looked at those a little bit last week with, with leprosy, when you look at those things, the, these were to teach symbolically the holiness of God and how sin can soil a life and, and defile a life and corrupt the human heart. And all of those things and all of those, those, those laws of clean and unclean was God's way of teaching the effects of sin and those things that separate us from God. And such is, is the condition of this woman. And such is the condition of the heart without Christ. Unclean. Wicked. Wretched. Hopeless. Alone. And when we find ourselves that way, we have a tendency to try to fix those things. I was listening this week to a, to a sermon by Jimmy Scroggins, and it wasn't on this text, but he was on something else, and he just made a statement that stuck with me, and he said, we have a tendency to underestimate the effects of our sin and overestimate our ability to deal with that sin. And what he was saying is, you know, we, we think we can sin, and, and it won't be as bad, you know, as it could be. Or we think, well, I can sin, but whatever happens, I can handle. And so we, we underestimate the effects. We overestimate our ability to deal with it. And this woman, for 12 years, had been trying to deal with it. She had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. She had spent nearly all of her resources. And, and she was no better. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us, or maybe it's Luke, that she was worse than she had been before all of this started. She was no better. She was no better. And that's kind of what happens to us. We get in that mode of thinking that we can deal with our sin. And, and, and you know, the, the, the Talmud, the, the Jewish uh, uh, leadership, they had their rules and regulations. They had even had their prescriptions for a woman in such a condition. To carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg, egg in a cotton bag in the winter. Yeah, that'll do it, you know. <laughs> to carry around a piece of barley corn that is found in some donkey dung. Go find a pharmacist that'll get that prescription for you. <laughs> These things were, were not helpful in any way. But 
They were willing to try. She was willing to try anything. And for 12 years, she had tried everything. And there are people here today. You may be here today. And you recognize the sinfulness, the wickedness, the wretchedness, the hopelessness of your condition. And you're trying. You're, you know, you're trying to do better. You're trying to quit that thing that brings you shame. You're trying to, to not go to those places where you know you ought not go. You're trying to not listen to that stuff you ought not listen to. You're, you're, you think you can develop the willpower. You think you can fix it. You think you can make it better. Or if not you, you think maybe you can find a friend who can. And this woman shows us that, that dealing with sin in that way will not fix it. And it will progressively worsen. And so she hears. I, I, I love that. She hears reports about Jesus. Now, as I said, he's already healed several people. He's driven demons out of people. And so she likely heard some of those things. People were talking. And I want to say to you today, I want you to be confident that God will take your reports, your testimony, your words about Jesus, and God will see that they fall upon the right hearts. Whether she knew or did not know, anybody who gave her those reports, she heard them, and those reports drove her, led her, compelled her to seek out Jesus. And I just want you to be confident this morning that God will take your reports and God will land them, plant them in the hearts that need Him. Paul writes in Romans 10 about salvation and he says, you know, how can they hear without a preacher? Last Saturday night, our deacons got together, and we got together with a guy, and he took us through Scripture, and we looked at the officers of the church, and we looked at everywhere the word deacon is, and everywhere the word elder is, and everywhere the word bishop is, and everywhere the word pastor shepherd is. And you know what we did not find? We did not find an office of preacher. Why is that? Can I tell you something? I am not to be the only preacher of First Baptist Church. How can they hear without a preacher? This woman heard reports. Can I say she heard somebody preaching about Jesus? And it led her to Jesus. And she went in that crowd, rubbing shoulders. This unclean woman, probably partly covered, hoping maybe anyone who knew her would not recognize her. Realizing that everyone she touched was becoming ceremonially unclean, realizing that if anyone recognized her, her life could very well be in jeopardy. And yet she pushed through the crowd. And I want you to know this this morning, that reaching out to Jesus will always be worth the risk. Whether you are trying to, to salvage a crumbling marriage, or whether you are trying to deal with rebellious children, whether you are trying to deal in here, perhaps we have young people whose parents are not saved. Whether you are trying to deal with co-workers who just rub you the wrong way every day. 
If you would reach out to Jesus in the midst of that, you will discover that he will give you and provide for you what you need. Ed Litton at this, this marriage retreat this weekend, one of the things he said that just stuck with me is he said, Jesus will never become more real than the moment you need him the most. Jesus will never become more real to you than the moment that you need him the most. And so this woman goes and she works her way through the crowd and she takes the risk and she reaches out to Jesus and she touches him. And immediately, some translations say, from the source. I, I love that imagery. From the source, she was healed. And you see, when we reach out to Jesus, our heart is what is, is sinfully wicked. And from the source, he changes our hearts. And Jesus stops because he was aware that power had gone out from him. Who touched me? And the disciples are like, man, what do you mean who touched you? Who hasn't? Who hasn't? But you see, this was a different touch. And I want you to know that there is a significant difference between the casual, between the touch of faith and the casual contact with Jesus. Coming in here and sitting on a pew on Sundays in many ways can be a casual contact. I'm around where people are talking about Jesus and they're singing about Jesus and they even know Jesus. Jesus might even show up and do something. So I'm kind of around there. There is a great difference. You know, that's the kind of $3 worth of God casual contact and the touch that reaches out and says, Jesus, I believe you can make a difference. In my wretched, wicked heart, I believe you can make a difference in who I am. And so she reached out and touched just the hem of his garment. You know, as I was reading through this several times this week, and, and, and one of the, I just kept thinking, why did, why did she think that? Why did she think if I just touch his garment? And, and, and I... Honestly, I don't know the real answer to that. But for me, I kind of landed here. She knew what the Bible said about her uncleanness. And if she touched this, it became unclean. And if she touched that, it became unclean. And I wonder if there was something within her that, that understood that and therefore thinking that, that the cleanliness of Jesus would go even to his garments. And if she could just even touch that, his cleanliness would come to her. Now, we can theologize and study, discuss, debate her faith. Was this kind of a superstitious kind of a faith, you know? Touching just the clothes, you know? That sounds kind of a little, uh, is that real faith? Can I tell you something? It was enough, was it not? If anyone will have the faith of a mustard seed. He's not looking for perfect faith. But he's looking for even faith the size of a mustard seed that is focused upon the right object, that our faith and her faith was directed toward Jesus. And so whether you want to discuss, debate, argue, or agree that, that her faith was a little bit mm, off kilter, you have to say that the one in whom she placed her faith was not. 
And that mustard seed sized of faith to just touch the garment was enough to change her. And Jesus stopped and turned around and wanted to know who touched him. And, 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 and here's one of the things I wonder. I, I really think Jesus knew. I think as soon as he turned around, he knew. But can I tell you this? I think if you were there and you looked around in every face, you would know, man, there's something different about this lady. She has just a whole, it's, wow. I, I, how, could she, how could she hide what had just happened within her? And so Jesus turns around and, and, and he looks for her. And she comes with fear and with trembling and falls at his feet. Now, why is that? You know, she had much in her life of which to be ashamed. She comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus. I, I don't think that she, I don't think she fell at his feet because she was ashamed. I think she came and fell at his feet because she had felt the power of Christ change her. And she knew this is not some carpenter from Nazareth. This is not some offbeat rabbi that's pulling together some disciples. I think she came and fell at his feet with fear and trembling because she recognized there is holiness in this man and righteousness. And she came and she fell at his feet because she, she recognized that she had been an unclean woman. She fell at his feet with fear and with trembling. And when we truly understand the holiness of God in Christ, we find ourselves, and we find ourselves in his presence, we too ought to have that initial sense of fear and awe and wonder at his holiness. It's what happened to Isaiah in the temple. It's what happened to the disciples on the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. It's what happens in John in, in Revelation chapter 1 when he fell down as a dead man, recognizing the holiness. And Jesus called her out. And it, and it says that, that she told her story. My hunch is that there would be a lot of us in this room where we called to the front to tell our story. There would be things that would embarrass us, and shame us, and things that would be difficult for us to confess to and admit to. So Why, why did he do this to her? I think there's three things that I see, and I will try to hit them very quickly. The first thing I think he did is this, that her testimony allowed her to bear witness to her community that her life had been changed. You see, she could have slunk, slunk, is that a word? Slunk back into the crowd and faded into oblivion. 
she might have had a hard time convincing family, friends, and neighbors that she was really healed, changed. But in this moment of, of, of public testimony, she was really able to, to what is it, you call it cinch the nail, you kind of, when you make that stick by coming and, and, and doing that, giving that testimony. One of the things that Ed Litton said yesterday just really kind of has stuck with me for the last however many hours ago that was. And it just made me realize that I stand before you because Christ has changed my heart. You know, I stand before you not because I'm perfect. Oh, you knew that. I really didn't even say that, did I? Not even because I'm a, I'm a good pastor, if so, or a bad pastor. I stand before you and proclaim not because I've never made a mistake or messed up, but because Christ has changed my heart. And he's given me a, a word to speak. And this woman had the opportunity Jesus gave to her to talk about her story and how her life was changed. And I think something else that happened in her testimony, it allowed her to hear the words of confirmation from Jesus. She came and fell at his feet with fear and trembling. What's the first word Jesus says to her? Look at your Bible. What's the first word he says? Out loud. Daughter. Does that sound like somebody's going to whoop up on you? This is the only woman that Jesus referred to as daughter. And she came with this fear and trembling and this shame in her life and this uncleanliness. And she came to him and not knowing what was going to happen, but believing she could be changed. And he says, daughter, your family, you're mine. And what happened in, in the giving of her testimony allowed her to hear, hear Jesus just, just confirm what had happened into her life, that she was indeed a changed person. It allowed Jesus to, to really fulfill in some ways what he says later in Matthew chapter 10. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And what happened was she acknowledged Jesus and he acknowledged her in that moment. You, you are well, he said. You are whole. You can go in peace. And then I think there is, well, a third thing that happens. Let's, let's read it. And, and, and Craig, I probably should have told you this earlier, but I don't know if you can get back there or not. Verse 35 Remember, remember what happened? Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house because Jairus has a sick daughter. And he's been interrupted in that journey by this woman. The totally opposite end of the spectrum of this, of this uh, um, um, synagogue leader. You have this woman. And the journey's been interrupted. And in verse 35 it says, While he, Jesus, was still speaking, there came... 
from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now put yourself in the feet of Jairus. And you have just heard the testimony of a woman who touched his garment and was made whole. And you do not think for a moment that that testimony would encourage this father to think that if Jesus can, this is going to sound weird, if Jesus can, you know, without even knowing it, heal this woman, that he cannot do something for the daughter, Jairus. And I think what happened was she gave her testimony. And I think that that very well could have been the encouragement that Jairus needed. Probably, my, probably, before the servant left the house of Jairus. And the woman touched his garment. I've got those backwards. Before the woman touched his garment, the servant was leaving the house of Jairus to say, your daughter's dead. And in, in those moments, her testimony said to Jairus, where there is hopelessness and despair, Jesus can make a difference. And hers became a magnificent defeat in the sense of all of this brokenness that she felt. And in that moment that she touched him, she was changed and given the opportunity to give a testimony that I think encouraged another and others about the power of Jesus. Maybe you've been amongst those people in those groups where you say, well, we can talk about anything but, but politics and religion. Sometimes that's with family, you know. Just don't talk about politics and religion. One of the lessons Jesus shows us here is that our faith, our religion, our faith is not to be pushed under, hidden, blended in with the crowd and the world and unspoken. It is to be testified of. We are to, I think Cecil Siegel is the first one I heard say this, we are to gossip Jesus. And that's what this woman does. And it was an encouragement to others. And I want you to know this morning, as we prepare to, to share from this, this table, a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us, done for you on the cross, it is to, to open the avenue by which your wretched, wicked, filthy heart can be cleansed. It is to open the avenue by which you can experience more than $3 worth of God. He longs to give him whole self, his whole self to you as you yield your whole life to him. He longs this morning to take whatever defeat in which you find yourself and to do something magnificent. Would you pray with me? Father God, forgive us. Forgive me when I've been satisfied with just enough to give me some security, to help me sleep at night. God, forgive me when that's all I've wanted. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me, Lord, even this week, God, that at my core, my heart is wretched. 
I am sinful, wicked, evil. And three dollars worth of you is not enough. Lord God, I pray, Father, this morning that as we share in this bread and this cup, that we will be reminded that Jesus gave his whole life to cleanse us, that we might, that we might come out of our defeat, knowing magnificent, the magnificent victory that can be ours. Bless even these moments of sharing this bread and this cup. May it be a testimony to even those around us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.